Well, today is the day. Today is the launch day of my brand new book, Secrets of Our House. <sighs> we made it. <laughs> so I haven't launched a book since August 2020. And today, February 8th, marks the release of my fourth book, my first winter release, Secrets of Our House, which is really about what happens when a mother's secretive past threatens to upend her family's seemingly perfect life. It is um, what I am coining <laughs> kind of a domestic drama. So it does have a bit of suspense, um, which all of my other books have, but it's really, really much more entrenched in the family dynamics um, between a husband, a wife, and a daughter, and what happens to them in their dream getaway home, the Black House. It is, I'd say, part drama up front, and then it gets really, really fast-paced and action-packed towards the end. So it's kind of like two books, two genres put into one. I would be so, so grateful if you could do a few things. Number one, purchase the book. Please, please, please <laughs> purchase the book. As authors, we can't do much if people don't buy our books. You know, we give away tons of free copies. We have these amazing social media bookstagrammers that share our books. But if you don't actually click that button or go into your bookstore to buy it, we can't keep continuing to do what we do. So wherever books are sold, that is where Secrets of Our House will be. I will say, if you can, always purchase from your local bookstore. Or if you want a signed copy, there are currently two ways to get a signed copy of Secrets of Our House. One, Snail on the Wall Books has signed copies. They are a digital bookstore. It will be shipped directly to your door, kind of like Amazon, but cooler and more personal. Signed copy from me. The link is in the show notes. Or you can order from Parnassus Books, also signed copies, also delivered to your door unless you live in Nashville and you want to go pick it up. We also have the ebook version. If you're a Kindle or Nook reader, we have the audiobook version, which I actually just put out a newsletter today all about that. So make sure you are subscribed to the newsletter. It has all of my virtual events, some in-person events. That's rightwayco.com. Uh, sign up for that newsletter and you will get weekly tidbits of information. Lastly, I just want to say, whew, putting out a book is always a monumental feat. Um, this, this time, I am approaching it a little bit differently. Um, I'm kind of coining it the anti-launch <laughs> in that I'm not anti-launching this book, but I'm really doing it in a way that feels good to me. So I'm not trying to kill myself. I want to spread things out. I want to just kind of feel my way into releasing this book. So if you would be so inclined to buy it, if you have already read it, uh, if you were an early reader, please, please, please leave a review on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever it is that you purchased the book. Reviews go such a long way as well for readers, unless they're one-star reviews. No one wants those, but I'm just kidding. I'm always really open for feedback and criticism. Um, such a big day. This is going to be such a big week. Um, make sure you, again, are subscribed to our newsletter 
or you can follow me on Instagram, my one social media platform that I really pay attention to. And that's my name at Rhea Fry, R-E-A-F-R-E-Y. Thank you all for listening. I'm so excited that we are getting into some new content. We are going to have some amazing guests and just get into some real, real discussions as we continue to evolve on the real story. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, I'm Rhea Fry, best-selling author, business owner, wife, mother, but most of all, I'm a human. And I'm Joe Tower, entrepreneur, producer, editor, husband, son, and I am also a human. As writers, we're always digging behind the story of publishing, ego, process, to get to the deeper truth of who we are and why we're here. While we're still pursuing that mission of the Right Way podcast, we wanted a platform where we could talk about being writers as well as being human. Now we'll be spending each episode talking with real people about real shit. This is the real story. All right. Today we're going to talk about birthing. Birthing. <laughs> and and we got to get through this quick because you deserve a nap. I am taking a nap. I'm bringing naps back. Um You don't you don't have to bring them back. They're already here, I assure you. Well, they're already here, but it's 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 like a badge of honor to like work through when you're tired, but we are literally supposed to We aren't rest. doing that here anymore. We aren't doing that around no. here. We're not working That's through right. We're not powering no. through shit here anymore. <laughs> no, no. Though I am powering through right now um, because today is officially book launch day yes, for congratulations, Secrets of Our House. Thank you so much. And yeah, I you know, a lot of people talk about when they write books and they bring them into the world, it's like literally giving birth to something, whether you're giving birth to an idea, a physical product, whatever it is, it it is kind of akin to the birthing process. And well, and with I the started, publishing industry and the state it's in, you guys go through, uh, you're going through a lot of labor. A, a lot of labor, yes, <laughs> which is so funny because, you know, used to you'd launch a book and, you know, you had like your little set of events that were set up for you and you kind of did your little two-week tour and then moved on. And it's just not like that anymore. So, you know, I'm responsible for any and every event that I book and I... I've noticed in the past like few years since I've, you know, been kind of back in the fiction world that there really seems to be this stigma of like whoever has the most events, whoever's posting about it the most, whoever's busiest wins <laughs> the competition of being like the best author or having the best launch. And I watch all of my author friends just absolutely kill themselves with with stacking these events, whether, you know, in person or virtual, um, more virtual these days. But when you launch, there seems to just be like a blueprint, like, oh, you've got to do this, 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 and this to be successful. And with this book launch, I've never launched in winter. And with just business stuff, life stuff, I haven't put as much time and attention into it as I normally would. But I also kind of decided like, I'm kind of doing the anti-launch. Like I'm I'm going to ap- approach it like I'm doing a lot of stuff this week, a lot of podcasts. I'm doing a really cool 20 city satellite radio tour that all get, it's get, gets done in one day. And I've never done that before. So literally from morning until afternoon, every 10 minutes, I'll be talking to a new radio station, which is cool. But I really thought about like, what do I like to do? What do I want this book launch to feel like? And I really wanted to kind of hit the ground running the week of launch and then do things as they pop up, but not put that 
crazy pressure on myself to just kill myself for six weeks and and then probably be disappointed in the sales anyway. So Well, can I ask, like, do you do you think as, you know, a veteran um uh, a veteran author, do you think that that like stacking the stacking the event deck for launch week actually translates into number of number of books moved? I do not think today with virtual events, which is what most people are kind of still doing. No, I do not think that that translates to a lot of sales. It's like 10% sell through. Because it seems to me like if you went with the in-person event, you know, the, the product is tangibly there, right? Like in front of the author, both the author and product are in the same spe- same place at the same time. But the virtual events, don't they kind of, they require like more action to move a potential customer from the event to the purchase. They do, but it's really backwards to me. Cause I'm like, Oh, you know, in person, if you do an in-person event, a successful event, honestly would be like 50 to 75 people show up. Everybody buys a book, but that's really not that many books. When you think about how many you need to sell when you, when, when you do a virtual event, like I did my virtual event last year with Parnassus and there were like 3,000 people or something that it reached. And I'm like, imagine if those 3,000 people had pressed that little button right there on their screen and and bought the book. Like it actually requires less action from them. Like, you know what I mean? But it's backwards. It doesn't work like that. It seems like, oh, everybody who's watching this, everybody who's tuning in, just, just press the button, buy a book. Like, and it just doesn't happen for some reason. Um, but in a way that does mean pre- click the button, get up from your computer and go and get your wallet, input all your credit card information. Input no, your- you save that shit. You save that shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you all just right, yeah, actually yeah. like take away all the, all the extra steps, but it is it's better be a button click. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, it's really interesting, but it, it got me thinking about, you know, just, I don't know, putting things out in the world in general and, I know we've both kind of reached a place where we're being more thoughtful about what we are birthing, whether it's thoughts, uh, physical products, work, relationships, just, I feel like there's this intention with, you know, what do I want to, what do I want to create? What do I want to put out in the world? But then how do I want to present it to the world? And I've been so just like, I have been really busy um, in the sense of, just lots of balls in the air, lots of client work. Uh, pre-launch is always just crazy. No matter how anti-launch I am, there's still a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts, a lot of ducks in a row, a lot of things to to get organized. And I decided to just really kind of go with it and be present and not stress about what's coming. But I also really have been saying no <laughs> to a lot of a lot of things that just aren't going to serve my energy right now. And that sounds really selfish, but like I'm really into this conservation of energy right now and I've really realized as well that I am what you call a day friend. So like I will go have coffee with you, I will have breakfast, I will have brunch, I will have lunch, I will have late afternoon coffee. But when it comes to like going to events at night or networking or I don't like it. Like night is has become so sacred to me to like eat a nourishing meal with my family, plug my technology, like just put put it away, 
take a bath, read a book, like, and again, well, because doesn't what you doesn't what you do at night inform how you wake up the, wake up to the next day? Yes, and like yeah. sleep has you know we I've quit drinking completely and feel like a just a different human being, and I'm just so I'm not numbing myself with anything and. It's just become like this amazing ritual. And I was supposed to go to this networking event the other night and, you know, tons of great people to meet. And like, you know, we probably could have gotten some cool clients. And I realized I'm like, I don't like networking. That's not what I, that's not the version of myself I want to present into the world. Like, I don't want to birth that well, right and now. Certainly not, <laughs> certainly not getting dressed, getting ready, ready, hyping yourself up intellectually and emotionally to drive to a place to go there, to spend time there in order to network. I think, yeah, no, it's like, not my thing. Two, two things you said, I mean, these two, two points that you touched on, I think are so interesting. And I think they're inextricably tied is like putting more thought into what we're doing into birthing, birthing something out into the world, which we oftentimes don't do because strategy, I, I'm, I, I hate to say this because I think st strategic thinking and strategic action is something that I don't, I don't really possess. I kind of never have. I always, I kind of like, I have a tendency in life to kind of either pop off or repress what I want because I'm a people pleaser but I, I, strategic strategy is now something that I'm very good at. So I do admire the idea that there are people that are good at strategic planning, thinking, planning, and acting. Um, but strategy is, is kind of an overall thought. So every move with, within a specific set strategy is all serving the same, that same strategy. So there's no actual thought that goes into each move within a strategy because each of those moves are serving the end goal of whatever that strategy is meant to achieve. So you're not, so once you employ a strategy, I mean, there is a certain amount of autopilot that exists within it where you're like, you know, there, there are, I mean, everybody should just go watch the Queen's Gambit. There are gaming moves where once you employ the move, certainly there's adaptation improvisation that exists within it. But how often are we really doing that? I mean, if we have a social media strategy or if we have a book launch strategy, how often are we just like outlining that plan based on what we want it to ultimately get done, setting that plan in motion, and then just doing it whether we want to do it or not? And I think, I think how much more thoughtful is it to instead look at each, at each move, at each thing, and being like, does this serve me right now? I mean, how, un how unconventional and how insane is that to think that like you could have a book launch strategy and you could be coming up on one interview and for whatever reason you're just not feeling it that day and you're just like I'm not I'm not going to do this. And people would be like, "Wait, why? Just sit on the phone and answer this person's questions and it's a little more airtime. It's a little more promotion. It's a little more opportunity for marketing. It's a little more opportunity to move books. But if you're not if you don't want to do it for whatever reason, like that's energy that you are then reluctant 
you're reluctantly expending that energy. Ugh, and I think I love that whole frame of thought because we are, I, I mean, we are expending energy all day, every day, but often to the wrong things. So to our phones, to our computers, to our devices, to our negative thoughts. And we so rarely like put everything away and you, you like, okay, you remember at the, I mean, back in the day before all these phones and everything came into play, like, these fucking phones. oh, I mean, I really, you know, somebody said it and I, I truly believe that digital addiction will become in a couple years with the opioid addiction, uh, I mean, um, epidemic is now um, because it's just that potent. And I've watched myself. So I changed my phone to grayscale. I, you know, taken all these apps off my phone and we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum, but like, I still reach for it so many times a day. I mean, 50 times a day, 60 times a day. Like, I don't even know. And it really takes us away from connecting not only with ourselves, which is number one, most important, like we're all so uncomfortable to just sit and think and not have something to do or to consume but fear of being bored oh bored which is the best thing ever i mean my uh, you know um but like really connecting with the people in your lives or you remember like you know before yeah you had this little library in your pocket like you'd actually go to the library or print a map for where you wanted to go or sit around and like play an instrument at night or, or like, you know, on the note of the map, like think about the idea of having to cognitively relate the information of a route on a map to the real world and the, the, the brain power, the, the creative and, and, and analytical brain power that required that we don't have to use anymore because the robot tells us which way to turn. And well, and the problem solve I mean, the problem solving ability to problem solve has just gone completely out the window, I think, or critical thinking skills. And everybody says this, but it is it is truly up to us to, I don't know, just get back to our own humanity and realizing like all these little hacks and tips and tricks are not serving us at all. They are detrimental to our relationships, to our health and to what kind of like, again, tying this back to birthing and like what we're birthing into the world. I mean, I feel like the quality of what we are putting out in the world, whether it is work or relationships or how, I mean, good Lord, look at just, the world in general, if you tune into the news and media or whatever, it's, it's kind of abysmal and appalling with what is out there. And I don't know, I think it's, it's so important to like sit back and, and ask yourself not only like how you want to show up, how you want to spend your time, but what do you want to put out in the world? And if that's, you know, when it comes to work, like if that's growing a, you know, successful company and hustling and networking and climbing your way up the ladder, like amazing. But I've just reached this point and I don't know if it's just because it, I'm now in my forties, but I just do not want to be part of that game anymore. It, it, there is no destination. There is no rung that you can climb that's high enough. There is no amount that you can make that's 
going to be enough. And it really just brings you all back to you, your body, like being comfortable with your body. But isn't, isn't that the problem though, right? Isn't that the fear? The, I mean, I think that the fear of boredom is rooted in the very fact that boredom creates an opportunity for us to face everything we've been avoiding with all the other shit. But we're never bored. So like, we're never bored. No, that's what I'm saying. We don't want to be because then we'd actually have to face all of the stuff that we use, all this other crap to avoid having to confront. We don't well, want to face it, ourselves. I, th- I think it's, it's yeah, feeling too, right? So like when I quit drinking, and I, d- I don't have a problem with, with drinking, but we <laughs> we really, I, I mean, I spent my whole life like not drinking. And then, you know, I really do love red wine. But like most people, we were during the pandemic going through way too much. I've talked about this before, but we were like just going through a bottle a night between the two of us. And it was such a numbing agent. And it just like, whether it's TV, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether, I mean, work, whatever it is, tasks, work, work. Oh reminders. my God. Work, work is the I biggest down, one. I sat down to meditate today, um, which I haven't really like done a real good, like sit down, focus meditation in a while. And Immediately, like my mind came up with five things that it thought it had to do or that I thought I had to do. And the willpower to try to not give in and stop and go do it, um, I didn't have enough. And I lasted a few more breath cycles. I lasted a few more minutes. And then I opened my eyes and I got up and I went to my computer. And uh, that's real. Fu- that's pretty fucking sad. Is that it? But but again, I think what I'm trying, you know, in a lot of ways, like it's it's a way of avoiding maybe the present moment, maybe the reality of a thing, maybe yourself or feeling or maybe like issues, feeling issues that, everything yeah, you should be dealing with. Yeah, emotions you should allow yourself to feel. Uh, we're just untrained, I, or we've become untrained. We've been deconditioned from being. Is that is the uh, thing? Deconditioned what, from being. I mean, and it's, yeah, it, I, I've really been, and I don't know when that happened. I mean, I, I don't, and I, and I know that you're right. I think that the technology we have now, uh, is, is an opiate that kind of preys on that susceptibility, but I'm curious, like when I mean, we went from suppressing, kind of suppressing all of that to like, just avoiding it and denying it. Um, well, so I think because we have to manage and, and I consistently get overwhelmed with it. So I put my phone away every night at like seven, sometimes a little bit later. I plug it in and I really try not to look at it until the next day. No matter what, <laughs> I wake up to at least 50 to 60 new text messages, a million emails voice, voice notes, DMs, like, and I'm nobody. I mean, I can't even imagine like on a celebrity status or running a hundred million dollar company, you wake up no matter what, no matter how, how well you've done to create boundaries in your life. And you have all of these people to respond to. And I think that's when it started to go wrong is when, you know, we now have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of potential digital people, relationships that we think we have to tend to. And text messages were supposed to kind of be like emails where, you know, you can get a point across, but like if you start just going back and forth and keeping that 
line of communication open, it's unending. There's never going to be a a finishing point because someone's always going to respond and you're going to feel like you have to react. And just like you meditating, that happens to me all the time. Actually, in fact, today I was trying to do some yoga and like my phone kept dinging and it was like client stuff. And rather than just like put it away so I could get through my class, I would stop and like respond and it's, it's our little monkey minds. Like we just jump to respond. And it, every time we do that, we are not checking in with ourselves, with what we need, with just staying in integrity and realizing that it is okay to be off the clock. It is okay to set boundaries. It is okay to not get back to people via text messages or emails Um, And I've gotten better at that, but then I kind of like forget about the email that I didn't respond to. And then some balls are dropped because I used to just, somebody would send me an email and I literally would respond immediately, no matter how many hundreds of emails I would get a day. Um, And becoming so reactionary is really detrimental to mental health and (laughs) well-being, I think, because there's just no end to it. And that's the thing. There's just no end to what we've created with this technological beast and social media. Because another part of our monkey mind is that we don't want, we're not satisfied with enough. We always want more. Always. I mean, there, there is no enough. And to that end, it's like, okay, so knowing all of that and like where we are, but also the amazing thing of like, cool, this is what everybody else is doing, but doesn't mean I have to. And it, it, it will be harder to kind of create more boundaries or cultivate a life that looks radically different than the way everybody else is doing it. Bur- or bur the life. Well, ex- exactly, bur the life. So that's what I was going to ask. Like, as you, you know, you have been like, you've taken a step back from work <clears throat> for, I mean, we, we kind of stopped mid-November, quite frankly, And then we were going to take December off and then everything happened with Anna and then January was out, of course. And so now we're in February and you were going to come back, which just like did not feel ready yet. So when you were ready to kind of make that reentry into, you know, quote unquote, your work life, what do you want to birth into the world now that you've had time to reflect, um, like what, what do you want to be doing? How do you want to spend your time and what lessons, you know, have you learned about that since you've, you've had to take a step back? I I think that, and you know, this is a a question I also will want to turn onto you, especially as you're like in the midst of this launch anti-launch that you are, you know, you said like, even in an anti-launch, I'm still like, um, still exhausted. I, I think that, Unfortunately, like all the, the the lessons haven't been learned yet because it's it's I, I what I've what I've learned is that it's so it's so it's such a consistent ep- effort because the brain is already is so prone um, to to reverting back to the behaviors that it's used to, and so even in this moment, this like insane moment in my life. Um, and in, in my wife's life, uh, I'm still making choices that are based on, uh, based on 
not superficial things, but are not uh, are not being authentically made. They're not they're not true to what I really want. Um, I think that one of the things I I want to focus on is the the hel- the the practice of a healthy no. Um, which, you know, there are unhealthy no's also. There's a lot of unhealthy no's. And I think no is also another set of conditioning. There's certain brains that get conditioned into no and then, or your brain can like be conditioned for no under certain circumstances and you can ignore and and be blind to opportunity, potential, and possibility uh, that might otherwise solve all your problems. But you know, in another certain set of circumstances, I can be a very yes person. And I I can definitely <laughs> yes, be can. a yes person for a lot of different reasons. Um, because not, not because of what I think I'm going to gain, but what, because I think I don't have that making this choice will give me, whether that be money or whether that be like another notch in the belt or another step up the, la- uh, the, you know, whatever it is. Um, we're, and we all do that. We all do that where, you know, it's, op- I mean, I think a very, it's a very, a very friendly term is opportunism. Um, and I, I, I think that the lesson that I'm learning, or at least the, 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 the new, the, the life I want to birth requires me to put into practice, um, saying no to things that I am not have don't have a personal investment in and it's because and it's so ingrained and it's so conditioned that as we are on this phone on the phone on the microphone recording this podcast and I'm saying it I'm think I'm thinking of things that I've already said yes to or know that I will probably say yes to that are not in line with what I'm saying right now. Do you know what I mean? Like that's how intense it, it is. It, well, it is. And I think in our line of work too, like we jump, it's very easy to take a phone call with a client or to say yes, because all of those things, you need the money, it will be a good gig. And then you really <laughs> start to think about it. And sometimes it it can be a no. And one practice I've really been putting into place. And, and I use that example, but like I'd had a big day. I had an interview in the morning, podcast meetings, and I was supposed to go to this event at night um, to support a friend. There was a potential client there and there it was like a hundred people. And it was the end of the day. It was the nastiest day. It was like rainy and freezing, like some freezing rain. And um I literally asked myself, I had like an hour (laughs) to make the decision and I had not RSVP'd or anything like that, but I was like, do I want to go or do I want to take a bath, (laughs) like spend some time with myself, disconnect and really tried to ask myself that question from a very objective place actually. And it was so clear that I wanted to nourish myself that, that, that's what I needed. That's what my body needed, um, especially to prepare for launch. I'd been going so fast. And 
I let, you know, the person know that I wasn't going to come, didn't hear back from her. And, but I felt so good about that no. And in the past, I would have like got on Instagram stories and like looked at, looked at what I'd missed out on because every time we say no, we miss out on something. And I'm like, this, certain things that we say yes to, um, or, or no to, I mean, you, you have to start looking at it through that lens. Yes. Do you have a personal stake here? Um, it's a very, I feel like it's a very kind thing to say no, especially to events or to work that you know that you're not going to show up because you really want to be there. You're showing up for, you know, for someone. And like, I will use children's birthday parties as a prime example of this. Like, I hate children's birthday parties. Can't stand them. Do not like them. Do not ever want to go to another one. And so I have not been to a children's birthday party in a really long time. Like Alex will go sometimes, but I'm just like, I love you. I love your child, but I don't want to go to this thing. And I think it's so unusual to really say no to socially expected things. I think it's a little easier with our line of work because we can say yes or we can say no. But you and I both have a thing where we want to help like, oh, I just want to, I want to help this person. I want to, you know, but, but that is not always the right thing to do. And I do feel like when you say no, it uh, does open the door to more possibilities with things that might align with like what you actually want to say yes to. Well, and I think, I mean, I think that's an interesting distinction too, because there is a difference between like saying, saying no to something you can do and saying no to something you don't want to do. Um, I will relate this to chemotherapy because that's, um, occupying so much of the bandwidth right now. Um, as, as my, my wife is preparing to go back to the hospital to undergo like phase two of her chemo regimen. Uh, one of the rules that we outlined because it's so important in chemo to nourish yourself, um, literally, quite literally, um, to eat more, uh, to eat a lot, to, to, you know, your body's hypermetabolic, so you need to eat as many calories as you can, and to keep moving, to, to move as much as you're able, even though you're, you know, the chemo is making your body not want to do any of the things that, that it should do to be nourished. Um, so one of the rules that we outlined was what she can do and what she doesn't, or like what she doesn't want to do and what she just can't do. So if we're... And, you know, if she's got a plate of mashed potatoes in front of her and it's the last thing left, um, can you eat the mashed potatoes? I don't want to eat the mashed potatoes, but I can eat the mashed potatoes. And in actuality, like in her particular position, she should then eat the mashed potatoes. But there are times when she looks at that mashed potatoes and she's like, I, I just can't eat the, the mashed potatoes. So she doesn't. So I think, I do think drawing that distinction is important. I don't think like, you know, and if you can, you know, you get to, I, within can or can't, you still get to exercise, uh, uh the liberty of, of, of the choice to say like, I can do it, but I'm still going to say no, or, I can do it. And I, and I will, because I, whatever, I have the time or I have the bandwidth or, or you or know, whatever. There, I was listening to a podcast and one of the guys was talking about um, this uh, very famous writer who is invited to all these different things, social engagements, work engagements. And so if he were to make that decision, 
like a yes or a no in isolation. He, he said that he would always say yes, but he knows that if he says yes to something, it takes away all of these other options where he could be doing things for himself, doing things with, you know, his loved ones, whatever. So what he does is whenever he gets any sort of invitation or work invitation, anything, he'd be like, oh my gosh, yes, I'd absolutely love to, but I'm going to need to, you know, think, I don't remember how they worded it, but I'm going to need to, you know, think about it and I'll get back to you. So it really shows enthusiasm, but also (laughs) creates the space to not give that like quick reactive, like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. I'll make it work. And then you agonize. Like how many times have we all done that where we (laughs) say yes to something? I mean, that's been like half my life is just (laughs) wishing I hadn't said yes to this thing that I have to do. I I literally don't want to go to everything I agree to go to. Oh, I mean, so the like I am not, and I don't know why our society is like this. And I look at it, I'm like, God, what? What is the obsession with booking things out like so far in advance, like going to dinner even like, yeah, we'll go next Saturday um, or events, parties, things like that on the day of you might not feel like doing anything. And then there's this always this sense of like, oh, well, I got to go because I said I would. And we need to go to things because we want to. Um, We need to work on projects because we really, really feel a passion for it. And I think so many of us with work don't enjoy what we do. That that has become the norm, which is absolute bullshit. If you're going to spend most of your life working, you, you've got to be doing something that you feel passionate about. You just have to. Like, I don't know why we settle for these things and we settle for not under not only not understanding how our bodies work or how our minds work but just not paying attention to the constant clues our bodies are giving us about our emotions about our health and i don't know i think i think it's such a perfect time to really get back in touch with what what it is you want, what you want to put out into the world, what you want to say yes to, what you want to say no to, and realize like it's your fucking life and you can do it. Your boss doesn't dictate it. Your partner doesn't dictate it. Your kids don't dictate it. You do. And there are all kinds of books and quotes and memes (laughs) and stuff that says that exact thing, but it's so simple and it's power and yet we don't often access it. Well, Oh man, you know, uh, we said that we were going to talk for a half hour, but I think we should talk for more if you have time or energy. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much in this, and I, I, I think that's so interesting, and I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the like meme, gif, or like bullet point quote culture, I just think like is such bullshit. And and one of the th- other things that I wanted to touch on is that we, you know, you you mentioned like the idea of. Um, of going to an, uh, going and doing a thing because you said that you would, um, as though we're, and you know, all right, fine. It's one of the four agreements, like be true to your word. That's fine. But also, first of all, the word can change. I'm sorry. Circumstances can change the word. And, and, and I've experienced that to the most extreme degree is that like, I said that I would do this before, but under these circumstances now I can't. And I, and my word has changed, but also the fact that in our, in our culture, the way that we've, we've 
we've designed and 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 built this this new culture we we're not tr- we're not we're never true to our word ever anywhere for anything for any reason and yet if we say we're going to go to a networking event by god we better be there because we said we would it's such well who bullshit. are you trying to prove anything to i mean like you showing up because you said you would what does that actually mean like what are you okay so let's take events for instance i and i was thinking about that i'm like okay there's a hundred people there i'll say hi to my friend and then like i am an introvert by nature like i hate that shit i hate mingling making small talk like i'm at a point in my life where i love to connect with people and have deep meaningful conversations but i don't want to sit around and learn about your business or what you do for work like that makes me kind of in the minority i think but or, or maybe not. Maybe that's just what is expected with these like big glamorous events and you got to build your business. You got to do this and you got to be here and you got to go there. And I, I don't know. I just feel suddenly kind of alien <laughs> with it all where I'm just like taking a giant step back and being like, that's awesome. That works for her life and his life and look at, you know, what they're doing but I'm becoming less and less voyeuristic. Um, I mean, oh. I think it's that's one thing we never talk about is how voyeuristic we all are and how fucking weird it is to spend precious hours of your life looking at other people's pictures of their kids. Or So I'm becoming less interested in anything digital. Like I, I rarely, if ever look at somebody else's posts, look at somebody else's stories, which makes me suck on social media because it's like I'm posting my stuff and but I'm never going to like their stuff and liking it or it's very it's not based on reciprocity, which makes me feel guilty, actually, because I'm not spending time watching other people live their lives. And I've really noticed such a difference when I'm I'm taking back that time and using it to to journal or to have a you know a cuddle session with my daughter or to stretch at the end of the day or have a good conversation like i want real in life community and conversations and friendships where i can stare into someone's eyes across the table from me and connect that way not with a fucking heart emoji or a like it just doesn't feel human to me And I know that I, again, I'm in the minority with that and I just sound like a broken record, but we've all just accepted this set of rules that are, it's taking us so far away from how we were supposed to live our lives and how we were supposed to connect um, with people. It's no wonder, I mean, kids are lonelier today than ever before. Suicide rates are at an all-time high, especially for, for children youth, and young adults. Youth, like, youth, think about su- that. Suicide is the highest, is the number one killer of kids 10 to 24 in Colorado, in the state of Colorado. Num- uh, number one. It, it, number one. It is... It is abysmal. And the fact that we are not taught, that's not part of the conversation. It's all about what we say. We say like, oh, you got to do it, though. You got to be on. You got to be on Instagram. You got to be on TikTok. That uh, uh, I just don't No, I think I think like I mean, I'm seeing it in my child and it's really worrying me like she's of course she's not on social media or anything, but she does have this iPod touch that she listens to music on. She has a Nintendo switch and she has a computer 
And if she's not doing one of those three things, because she listens to music and she listens to podcasts literally all the time. And when we take those things away from her, she is like, I am so bored. I don't know what to do. And even a few months ago, she wasn't like that. And it is unbelievable taking this being that is still so connected to source and connected to nature and connected to who she is at her core. But you give her these tools and she doesn't even know how to like be a human. It's it's just connected to this like consumption, 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 consumption. And it's it's wild to watch how intrinsic it is for all of us to just stare down at these screens, think we're making connections, and yet we are just starved for real nourishment, real connection, real community. And it's like the single biggest thing I hear from my friends that they're just like, God, I just really want like a real sense of of community. And I think it's what we're all craving, but we don't even know how to do that if it doesn't involve a fucking Facebook group or an Instagram live. Like it's, well, I, it's I, so, I, and I, I, I agree. And I, I, I also have to temper this, this conversation with, um, with the times that it can be an asset and a benefit. And I think that, you know, like anything else in our, our society and, and, and culturally, we haven't figured out or no we we don't know how to use things for for good um and i think as a result of wanting more and strategic planning and wanting growth instead of integrity and wanting size and and reach and scope instead of authenticity um we we, we kind of spoil everything. And I've been able to watch social media serve a very distinct purpose for Anna, especially while she's oh, in the I hospital. Mean, but, yeah, but, absolutely. But think about all of these, all the places where it's just become ubiquitous and exactly what you're talking about, where it's over, it's like permeated. So, so when I look at social media, the landscape of social media, I see it exactly how you're seeing it except for the slice, that small sliver of a moment where I'm like, oh, I see, I see where it could be used for good. And then everywhere else I look and I, and you know, I see people staring at mindlessly staring into the iridescent glow of their, of their palm. And I'm like, oh, we're, we're, we're fucking doomed. Oh, I mean, that's the thing. Of course there's good to it. I mean, I, I, absolutely. And I, you know, I don't think it's like intrinsically evil. However, the addictive quality of it for all of us it is the one these phones are the biggest addiction of our lifetime i mean the biggest addiction period probably ever in human history there's no drug there's there's nothing that comes close and that we have all decided that we cannot go anywhere not even to take a shit without a phone in our hand like it's so mind-boggling to me that you can't go from room to room or go on a walk or go out to dinner with your family or have a meeting without this goddamn little, again, this this little thing that takes so much of our attention. And it's just, why? Like, why are we continuing to just say like, oh, it's just, I mean, everybody's on their phones. Everybody has. Okay, so let me ask this. Like, you're, you have, and you have had, 
for a long time. We've been talking about this for a long time. And you, you do have like, I think radical viewpoints about a lot of stuff. Um, you were very like, yes. when right way got, <laughs> when we started right way, you were very adamant about like, we don't, I don't need, we're not doing the social media thing. And you know, it's, it's grown because of you organically, uh, through referral only. And we've never, you know, you've never purchased ads. We've never run campaigns. We've never done anything like that. So this launch that you're in the midst of, uh, this last week and today, like, you know, you talked about it being kind of the anti-launch. How is it, how are you experiencing its difference compared to your previous launches? And how do you, what do you want to see evolve? Like, how do you, how do you see your next launch then or your next launch or, or Ooh, what do you yeah. see looking forward? What do you, what kind of a, a, a working or creative life do you want to birth into the world going forward? I mean, great question. So, I mean, I've always said I want to be an author who does it successfully without social media. I've said it on a million podcasts. I've said it on a million interviews and everyone thinks they just like stop talking and they're like, well, Good luck with that. Um, but to date, I have you know dele uh, deleted Twitter. I am deleting Facebook after this launch, and I have not personally been on Facebook in well over a year and a half. Did you delete LinkedIn? By yes, the way? I deleted LinkedIn um, because I don't I don't use it. I mean, it could probably be an asset for the business. I never use it, and it bothers me more having something out there that I'm not using. I will never go to it. I will never look at it, and I don't like having such a a visible digital footprint in places that I'm not paying attention to. It makes me kind of uncomfortable. So I deleted LinkedIn. I'm deleting Facebook after this post. I have a, a publicist, a great team that's been posting for me on Facebook. So Instagram is the only place that I show up. I do not show up there super regularly. I will say, much like Anna and her experience, the Bookstagram community incredible. Like they have shared my book. They are being so supportive. And it's a really lovely place to be. I don't ever get on Instagram and like, oh, I can't believe this person said this. Like, it's not like that. It's it's very, very positive, but it's also a very slippery slope. So in the future for my next launch, I mean, I would love to figure out a way to do it where if if there does have to be social media, someone else is handling it and I can focus on doing interviews, which I love, doing podcasts, which I love, um, and, but really getting back to the writing, I am on a mission to have writers feel more like writers instead of salespeople and public speakers and social media gurus and marketing wizards. It's, it's just not what we signed up for. And my, one of my missions in life is just to, to only do shit that I like actually want to do. <laughs> and even if that means I miss out on sales or opportunities, I mean, we've kind of tested it with the business and some amazing things have happened and, and kind of are happening organically. And I think we're all in such a rush to be successful and, and have the instant gratification that we've forgotten how to play the long game. And for me, this is all a long game. This is not a, oh, cool. I hit this list and then I'm going to move on here. And I just hit a million dollars with our company. Check. Now, now I'm going to go here. It's, it, I, I want to leave room and flexibility for the plan to change, for the path to change, like for all of it to kind of grow and expand as it needs to. I, I, I think it's very important to let your, 
your businesses breathe, your projects breathe, your work breathe, your relationships breathe, and we just suffocate them with doing more and being strategic, like bringing it back to the whole strategy thing. And I don't know, I just, that's not really how I want to live my life or run my business or, you know, show up as an author in the world. So I'm continuing to figure it out and, and like, again, doing things that I want to do, not that I feel like I have to. Mm-hmm. I love that word. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I think that, man, unfortunately, converse, this conversation has become the most important conversation is like, how do we live? How do we, um, how do we find a way to be, or how do we get back to being? Um, and we are obsessed on every level, like with doing and, you know, man, I am so sick of like reading those things on the internet that are like, this is how the top five CEOs in the country wake up. Life is not, life is not a hack. And, and if you're looking for, a hack to health, a hack to love, a hack to, you know, happiness. I mean, it's, it's, that's not, we're not a quick fix, you know, species. And we, we want that because we don't have to wait for anything. We don't have to wait for answers with anything. We don't have to use our minds critically the way that we used to. And that doesn't mean that you can't though, or that that's not a possibility. (laughs) Like, and I don't know, I think delayed gratification. I mean, I'm, I'm really kind of like getting into that a little bit more and I'm starting to see things that I planted seeds for even like years ago, starting to kind of slowly sprout. And it's really beautiful because I'm, I'm allowing myself to want things and dream for things without attaching to them too tightly. Um, and it's, we're giving it's them been, a schedule. Yes, exactly. It's been so much more fun to just leave again, leave space. And there's again that the conversation we had about like how the the feminine mindset is all process oriented, not not outcome oriented. And, and and you know this also goes back to like the thing that I've been learning medically and health wise is like out of Newtonian physics came the the med- like what most of like the the ethos of mes- Western medicine, which is like our bodies are our mechanism. Like we're obsessed with systems and mechanisms because that's something that our brain can, can comprehend in, in, in its entirety. And we can figure out then how to fix it, how to, like you said, hack it, how to override it, how to reboot it, whatever. So everything now we're looking at as a system and what has been proven not only medically and scientifically, et cetera, is that uh, none that doesn't really apply. That that's definitely not how the human body works, and it's not how life and reality works. Um, it's there's more. It's more about energy, energies than anything else. I agree. There it is. Good. I guess podcast done. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to Right Way Presents The Real Story. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment. And for more information on The Real Story and Right Way, visit rightwayco.com.